Welcome to Empowered Owners, the podcast that takes you inside Empowered Ventures. I'm your host, Chris Fredericks. In each episode, I'll have a discussion with one of our employees to discover and highlight their distinct personalities, perspectives, and skills, while also keeping you in the loop with exclusive news, updates on company performance, and a glimpse into the future plans of Empowered Ventures. This is an opportunity for me to learn more about our amazing employee owners and an opportunity for you to hear regularly from me and others from within Empowered Ventures. On this episode of Empowered Owners, I'm talking with Ken Szynski, who retired from TVF after 25 years with the employee-owned company that founded Empowered Ventures and 42 years in the textile industry. Ken was an employee owner at TVF for more than 10 years before retiring in late 2021. Ken joined TVF's Los Angeles office in 1996 to help build a performance apparel program, which has since grown to be one of TVF's most successful product lines. Within TVF, Ken was renowned for his sense of humor and being an incredibly genuine and caring coworker. I'll also be joined by EV's chief of staff, Emily Bope, at the end of the episode to debrief my discussion with Ken and shed some light on why storytelling is one of EV's four strategy pillars. With that, let's get to my conversation with Ken. Hi, Ken. Welcome to Empowered Owners. It's been a while since we last spoke, I think. So I was really excited just to catch up, but I'm curious just to kickstart, like how retirement's treating you. Mike Sanders always gave me the best perspective. It was like, Ken, now you have six Saturdays and a Sunday. <laughs> the kind of funny thing, sometimes you forget what day of the week it is. Is it a Monday or a Tuesday? But yeah, it's fantastic to get to do all the things that you really want to do, to have the time to do, and to know that all your hard work, your dedication paid off. So yeah, it's terrific. That's awesome. What have you been spending your time doing? What do you think? <laughs> you know me a little bit. <laughs> if I had to guess, I would say some hiking and some surfing. Yeah, hiking, surfing, and actually quite a bit of golf. So the surf conditions have been a little off lately. Southern sunny California hasn't been so sunny. Water temperature's been like below 60s. So yeah, more golf than the surfing, but yes, a lot of hiking too, which I like. I'm getting out all the time. I'm in, I feel like I'm in really terrific shape and feeling really good. That's awesome. I love that. Are you seeing your sons, Jeff and Scott, are you hanging out with them too? Yeah, we've surfed a couple of times this year. We've golfed one time this year. They're not fans of golf. They find it a little bit slow and boring. Mm -hmm. But for good old dad, they'll get out. We'll play like nine holes on a shorter golf course. And But the best thing is just the camaraderie of being together. And yeah, yeah, I got great sons. I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, that's awesome. It we'll is. get into your career at TVF and some other things. But just to stick on the retirement topic a little more, I think it's really interesting to think about what a good retirement is. And some people retire and have a hard time with it. I imagine you're not one of those people that you might be really getting the best out of it. So, I mean, what advice do you have for people who are about to retire or going to retire at some point and how they can really enjoy it? I think that the big thing is be ready for retirement. Make sure like you have 
your assets in control. If you're doing, of course, social security, make sure you have that all set up, work with, a, with people that can help you like with your insurance, social security, by the way, the people there phenomenally are very helpful. So mm. that's a great thing. So I, I think that's number one. So then you're comfortable, you're ready for your retirement. And then I think the other thing is be active. So I know a lot of people, they, they don't have a full day. They like to maybe be back at work or doing something, which I think is great. I can see possibly myself doing something in the future and part-time doing some type of work, but I think just keep yourself active. The one big thing that's been great for me besides being active and doing all the little fun, all the fun things I like, which included hiking and golfing and surfing, but is to get caught up on the projects around home. And that is really cool to see stuff get done that you've been wanting to do for a very long time. So that's a little bit of advice, but the main thing is be ready for it. That makes so much sense. So before you retire, having a decent plan for the hobbies and things that you want to throw yourself into and spend a lot of time doing. sounds like that's an important part of it. It is. Yes. Yeah. About work though. I'm curious. So do you miss coming to work or how are you feeling about that? Yeah. I knew that question would come up and I'm not lying. (laughs) I I do. The biggest thing I miss, and I know you're going to know the answer to this is just the friends that I have at TVF, it was just tremendous. And the great thing is though, that I've been able to stay in touch with a lot of people and that's really good, but that's probably the interaction with people and the rewarding of helping everybody and them helping myself and growing within the company that you miss a lot. And those are days that I wish I can come back to. Yeah. That makes sense. And I'm sure I can speak on behalf of everyone at TVF that you're missed as well. So it's always a bittersweet thing. So it is nice to hear that you're really enjoying it and you worked hard for a long time and I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. What, what led to you deciding to join TVF back in, I think, 1996? Oh, that's a good question. I like that question. Well, Robert Hinch was instrumental for me coming to TVF. I just, I wanted to expand. I saw it to back then, of course, it was top value fabrics. And I just saw that they had a a strength to really grow. They hired me to help expand their apparel division, which that was what I was hired to do. And that excited me. I could see that there'd be very strong support and area to really grow. Financially, the company was strong. I realized that. I talked to a lot of people about Top Value Fabrics, vendors, and just had great recommendations. So that was the big point of joining the company for the growth and exciting new venture to to tackle. That's great. And yeah, you joined to help build an apparel program that is that ended up being extremely successful. It's one of the most important programs in TVF today. What was the state of that program at TVF when you started? Yeah, there there was the beginning of a program, but it didn't have a foundation. And the foundation really was to have a strong stock program. And, And that's one of the great things about TVF is the strength of the stock program. And that's where it needed to grow. They needed direction. What did we need to have on the shelf? What do the customers need? 
Interesting. So I imagine that was a big focus of yours early on was to figure out what to put on the shelf and how much to put on the shelf. How did you go about doing that? Yeah, I know what we needed because that I've already that was already what I was doing. The industry was very strong in apparel, and I had no limits of what I could do. TVF at that time to two owners, Dick Hansel and Dick Leventhal, just gave me full reins to do what needed to be done. So I I didn't have any type of hindrance to build the program for what it needed to be. But from my experience was, okay, let's build a program, but let's make sure it's the right program. We have the right fabrics, the right colors, what the customers needed. Interesting. What was the strategy in terms of the customers and their needs? Was there a particular size of customer? Were we going after the big customers, the smaller customers? What was the market needing that TVF was able to come in and do a little differently or fill? Really, we wanted to target all customers. They all have the same needs, the small customer, the large customer. And of course, your focus, you want to get the big customers if you can, but you, when you're building a new program, you want any customer that you can get. Yeah, the focus was on really everybody, every customer, feel what they really needed. And knowing what the market was doing at that time, the big market at the time was surfwear, which is very big in Southern California, the s- snowboard and ski industry, and of course, the outdoor industry. We were involved with um, synthetic fabrics, which were very important for all of those industries. So that's where I wanted my focus to be, where we were already good at and what we could handle. What were, so the customers that chose to switch to TVF back then early on, like what were the selling points for them? What weren't they getting from maybe the competitors or like how did TVF do it a little differently or what attracted them to join TVF? Part of it was me, my relationships with the customers and the trust that I had with the customers. The other thing I think that was really important was that we had the finance behind us to really proceed on larger, bigger orders, which was a little more difficult with my prior company. The support that we had with the team from particularly with purchasing just made my job easier. And we were able to get the customers answers quickly for things that they needed. So TBF was able to provide better service, better reliability, and their trust in you knowing already having worked with you, they were comfortable to make that switch ultimately. Yeah, they were very comfortable in the beginning. And I think that grew as sound decisions were made and things were coming together and sales were increasing, programs were working. Yeah, that's awesome. What other lessons learned did you take from your career at TVF? I think you ended up spending about 25 years at TVF and in a 44-year textile industry career, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you mentioned the 25 years. And I the thing that made me really happy was I retired on my 25th year anniversary. So that was cool. The, what I loved about TVF were the people. Right from day one, it was the people. It was always terrific. It made you want to perform better, work harder, because you cared about the people that you worked with. The friendships were extremely strong. And that really grew with the ESOP program, with the employee ownership, because people had a more 
they had a voice. They had a stronger voice than ever before. And that, when it began, and it, it was gradually grew and grew. And I could see a, a change in people's attitudes, including mine, to really want to perform to help everybody. That's awesome. Yeah, I want to get back to employee ownership too, but I didn't want to miss an opportunity to say too that you all you mentioned it twice now the people and your how much they care about each other and i think it's fair to say you were probably universally loved by the whole team when you left i think you would be described as someone who cared a lot about everyone else what made you such a positive caring person ultimately why are you like that ken Both my parents it does start there of course yeah that was my upbringing to be a positive person and that influenced me my whole lifetime and everything that I did. But what made it really work at Top Value Fabrics TVF was that the people I worked with, they had that same feeling. They really cared about each other. They really wanted to help each other. So I think that was the strength that really worked. Yeah. That's awesome. The other thing that I think you're universally known for is your sense of humor which you've shown us a few little flashes so far, but I know you've got a lot more in the tank. Why do you like to have fun at work, Ken? Why do you like to bring humor to work? Of course, you love to see people smile. I'm happy looking at you smiling right now. And of course, I'm known for my dad jokes, and that's a good thing. So yeah, I think that was, that. of course, that's the motivation. I like to pe see people smile. I like to see people laugh and you know, that we had a lot of that in the company. So I, I really enjoyed that. There's one thing I really missed at TBF, and that was like, we had all these different clubs going, which we get to know each other better. Yeah, and the book club was great. So I have a new book that I think is very important that the book club should now read. Okay. It's called Happy Birthday, Ken. And it was neat about my birthday was about one month before my retirement and my friends, girlfriend, and my sons surprised me with a birthday retirement party. And so we have this great book, which is a great read. That's me. It's <laughs> a great read. <laughs> when I was a cute little guy. And what was great about it is they filled it with dad jokes. Oh, wow. Yeah, awesome. So here's one that is... My dad told me a joke about boxing, but I missed the punchline. And so what's great is they, inc they included pictures. There's my two sons when they were probably nine and six. But I always remember one thing we're talking about dad jokes was that in our neighborhood, we always threw a Christmas party. Actually, we do a Christmas party, Easter party with all the neighbors. And there's probably about 20 homes. And every other year for Christmas, a different dad would be Santa. So one year, it was my year to be Santa. And so I was all dressed up. You couldn't recognize me. And I had the good, strong Santa voice going. And, I, and then my older son was probably five or six at the time. He's sitting next to me for what he wants for Christmas. And I'm doing my ho, 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 what do you want for Christmas? And then he turned to me and said, are you my dad? And I said to him, I go, do I look like him? And he said, no. Do I sound like him? He said, no. 
he goes, it's your jokes. <laughs> so that's, I, so that kind of identify, identifies me with dad jokes. Yeah, you are the king of dad jokes, truly, Ken. And I'm really glad you brought some to share with us today. I did, I, briefly, I want to ask you, what makes a good dad joke? Like, you've probably thought about this. So what makes like a really good dad joke? I think it's just remembering them and <laughs> having to punch like, what's great about dad jokes, I know just a normal conversation, a topic will come up and it just sets you up for a, a dad joke. Like you'd be out having sushi. And so, yeah, it's remembering them. And when the opportunity presents itself, deliver it. Got it. That makes yeah. sense. You did that a lot over your career, I'm sure. I know. Lastly, I did want to dig in a little bit to employee ownership. I'm glad you brought that up earlier. So you mentioned you thought it ended up having a great impact on the people at TVF and the culture. Why do you think that was? What about TVF and employee ownership combining like really ended up resulting in such a, a great employee ownership success story? I remember in the newsletters that after my retirement, one of the things I had said when that was presented to us, I never even had heard of ESOP, what employee ownership was. Mm. And when, as I began to find out what it was about, that we had a share in the company, really excited me. I mean, it already excited the company, but to have that in addition was great. But I think additionally, what came with that was the change, not really the change, but strengthening the environment to have everybody have a voice, to be able to have input into the company, what they think should be done and to be able to share that. And I saw that continue to grow and grow with the company, everybody, including yourself and all the other management were taking opportunities where, what can we do to make people more involved with the company? And if you're more involved, obviously you're much more happier. So that was a big strength that I really enjoy. And it helped me a lot. I, it even gave me a greater voice. Even as a manager, it gave me a greater voice, but it was great to hear the feedback from everybody that you work with from the salespeople to people in purchasing and finance. So it was great. Yeah. As you're saying that I'm remembering the journey we went through and it's, it was such a great journey. And like you said, it's not that it, there was a good, solid culture to build on from the beginning, but it really did take it to a new level. And as you were saying that, it made me think too, that it made everyone's lives better, like more enjoyable, more fun, more smiles, but also it actually made everyone more effective too. Like I think people truly cared more and ultimately it, it made the business even function better ultimately. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. The people were more effective because they felt more involved and that's mm -hmm. a big step very big step. Yeah. Thanks. So in terms of your decision to retire, did the success we had as an ESOP like impact that at all? Because sometimes an ESOP account going up is like a nice thing to see and you don't want to, people wouldn't want to let go of that. So it could be hard to retire. And on the flip side, it can help create some financial security for people. So I'm curious, obviously no numbers or anything, but did it impact ultimately? Did it have an impact for you? I was going to retire regardless. But it helped me retire much more comfortably to have that nest egg there that prior to that, you didn't, that wasn't there. It was a big bonus. Mm. So what it created was just a higher comfort level. And also what it created was just to know 
that you were part of a company, part of a structure that cares about you. And to have that interest in the company with the shares is just phenomenal. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you, Ken. This has been a lot of fun. I actually am going to ask you to stick around. We're going to take a, like a short break and then have you stick around. And then I'm going to hit you with five short questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Welcome back. In each episode of Empowered Owners, we bring our featured guest back for a short and hopefully fun segment to get them get to know them a little better. This time we have five quick questions for Ken Szynski. Ken, are you ready for five quick questions? I think so. Yes. Okay. First one, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A baseball player. What kept you from that dream? The competition at that upper level is just too crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. What did your parents do for a living? My dad, he worked for Ford Motor Company. And my mom, she was a stay-at-home mom for most of her career. Then when we were teenagers, she went to work for a savings and loan company. That's great. What is your favorite cereal? Captain Crunch. <laughs> I, I thought that was a question that would come up. So mm. I have a lot, but I, Captain Crunch. That lands at the top. Awesome. Yeah, but I don't. I'm more healthy today, so it's rare that I do that. Not eating a lot of Captain Crunch these days? No. <laughs> what does your morning routine look like? The great thing since retirement is I don't have to rush to get out of bed. <laughs> so my morning routine now with retirement is I'll get on the computer and catch up on messages and emails, etc. And then the big thing is to have a nice morning breakfast. And I like to do a nice, healthy smoothie, fruit, yogurt, etc. Break that up a little bit. And just, I'll have my day figured out. What am I going to do? Am I going to go golfing? Am I going to go surfing? Am I going to do some things around the house that, you know, you've always wanted to do, but never really could do when you were still working. So that's my morning routine. Got it. What's the last big home project you did? Yeah, that the big thing was the remodel of my kitchen. I had a home built in the, probably the mid-80s, and it had a smaller kitchen. It was very enclosed, a good-sized living room. So I just blew out the wall of the kitchen to have one big, great room, which is fantastic because it just opens up everything. You have light coming in from all directions and now I have views in different directions. I have nice views. So that was a big project that I'm, I, it costs a lot more than I thought, which is always a case of a remodel, but I'm so happy. You'll have to send pictures. Okay. I will. My last question, unfortunately you've already done, but if you have another, I was going to ask you if you have a dad joke you would want to close with. Oh gosh. Okay. I'm going to go to that, the book. Happy birthday, Ken. Okay. We'll just go with the title. So, you know, there's me as a young boy, about six or seven. By the way, I was being pinched at the time. That's why I'm leaning over. By the way, it was a great book because, you know, they put a bunch of great photographs. I don't know how they found them all, but it was a great celebration. But the, is, the title here, Happy Birthday, Ken, what do you call a fish wearing a bow tie? What do you call it? So fish <laughs>
you got me. I can't, I have to admit, I do like a good dad joke, which probably doesn't, I don't know if I should be proud of that, but I love your dad jokes, Ken. Thank you. You're welcome. And I remember you telling me a couple, and the company did a nice presentation when I retired of messages for my fellow employees, including yourself. And you had a couple of very good dad jokes in there. So I was very happy about that. Very proud of you. (laughs) That means a lot coming from you, Ken. It really does. Ken, this has been a lot of fun. I can say 16 years I worked with you and it was truly a pleasure and I have missed seeing you. It has been a real honor to have you on our podcast here. So thank you for coming on. Oh, you're quite welcome. And the same likewise, knowing you and working with you and the great things that have happened with the company has been terrific. So I have a lot of respect, a lot of love for everything that you've done for the company. That's really nice of you to say. Coming up next, Empowered Ventures Chief of Staff, Emily Bope, will join me to debrief my discussion with Ken. We are also going to dig into the storytelling pillar of EV strategy, what it is and why we think it's important. Hi, Emily. Hello, Chris. How's it going? I'm doing well. I just had a lot of fun with that recording with Ken. That was such a fun interview. Oh my goodness. What a great guy. I can see why everybody at TVF loves Ken. (laughs) I was actually watching as well, and there's just something about him that is so caring. And actually, that is my key theme takeaway for Ken and what he shared. I think once before I said, if I think it was Jim, if Jim could write a book and I gave him a title, I'll do it for Ken too. If Ken wrote a book, the title would be The Power of People Caring for Each Other. Mm-hmm. Because that just came up over and over again. Initially, why he even chose to work at TVF, it was because of a relationship. His early years there, he said what made it an amazing place to be was the way that people cared for each other. But then the employee ownership component just brought that to a whole other level. And I love what he said about people are more effective because they're involved. And people want to perform to help everyone. That so struck me. Often when I explain or we talk about employee ownership, it sounds like it can be a little bit selfish, the financial side. Ooh, now I'm an owner. Now I'm going to get something, no, for me. But my goodness, loud and clear, it came through with Ken that, yeah, that was a little bit of the thinking, but really equally so, maybe even more was, wow, I'm... I'm invested here. I'm, I want to work hard because my friends who I work with are going to benefit from my effort. We're all working together so that we all benefit together. So yeah, the power of people caring for each other. Ken, that's the book you should write. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I totally agree. He is, he really exemplifies caring about each other and people I wasn't kidding when I said everyone and universally loved. And I think it's mainly because of how much he cared and how that came through as much as I'd, he'd love to say it's all the dad jokes. I do think it was the caring more than anything. So yeah, I, I'm so glad you highlighted that. And in terms of employee ownership, I agree. It's like a lot of companies can be extremely caring, have great cultures and all those things. But when you add that employee ownership piece to it, it just frees everyone up, I think, too, to be truly ecstatic for each other about the impact that this place of work and working together and succeeding 
can have. And it's just a lot of fun ultimately too, to succeed with your coworkers and know that we are all benefiting from it. Good. You know, you just said a word, freeing people. That's an interesting twist. I haven't really thought in terms of the freedom to get to come to work with a different mindset. I don't know. What made you choose the word free? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think in a traditional company, let's say privately owned employees and an owner, which can have a very, can be a great situation in a lot of cases. And no matter how good it is, there is an inherent misalignment of incentives. And that just can't be overcome ultimately in a certain sense. And that causes even the best of people to feel afraid to fully be themselves because they it's a power dynamic problem. And employee ownership, if it's truly a full employee-owned culture where people feel that empowerment and yeah, I think it, it can enable them to lose some of that fear, the misalignment. They don't feel like the financial incentives are against their interests anymore. So they can, they can let go of that fear ultimately. And I think that is part of what Ken was speaking to with what's happened at TBF. That's so well put. And yeah, I think Deming for any of my manufacturing gurus out there said the very first and best highest calling for improving a business is to drive out fear that all of these manufacturing environments want to lean out they want to get more efficient. They want to reduce waste. But ultimately, the father of all of that, Edward Deming, he would say, drive out fear. So that's why when you said freedom and then linked it back to fear, I thought, oh, boy, employee ownership has some pretty impactful stuff going on. So the other thing we thought we might get into is EV strategy. We've talked recently about how we've refined and redefined EV strategy and its four pillars. And we're excited to be going through a series to dive into each of those pillars and Talk about them a little more, flesh them out, bring them to life a little bit for everybody. Today, we're going to be tackling storytelling. And I didn't know if you might want to kick us off, maybe provide some context for where, why we landed on storytelling and why we want to talk about that. For sure. And just to loop it back to previous episodes. So when we explained initially our strategy, folks might remember that there's three pillars that go together. If you saw the visual, if you remember this, they don't go together kind of like a three-stranded cord. It's our acquiring excellence. That's our ability to find great businesses and buy them. It's our stewarding excellence would be the second one. And that's our ability to have these companies and enter into our holding, but be shepherded well into their best future. So stewarding excellence. And then third is ESOPing excellence, the word that we created to really go about the things that we were just talking about, going about running an ESOP company, both financially and culturally in the most excellent way possible. So that three-stranded cord is the core of our strategy. Let's pursue excellence in each of these areas because that will bring about those life-changing financial and personal well-being outcomes that is our purpose. But 
there's this additional piece in the flywheel that we've identified as storytelling excellence. And so I just wanted to reconnect everybody kind of visual. You've got that in your head. So in other episodes, we'll be diving into that three-stranded cord. But today we really want to focus on storytelling excellence. Why does it matter that we become excellent at telling our story, at letting the world know (laughs) who we are, what we're doing, what kind of an impact it's having, what it's all about. And I know this is something that you've had a vision for, so maybe I'll just kick it back to you. You know, what would you say is the primary impetus for including storytelling excellence in our strategy? Yeah, thank you. That's that's such a great description too of just the context for how our strategy all fits together and and how storytelling ultimately is apart from the core three-part strategy but also is there to enhance it ultimately. Yeah, storytelling I think for me a few different angles, but one is that employee ownership is by itself I think an opportunity to tell a great story and we have a mission life-changing outcomes for our people and if we succeed as we succeed, which I feel like we are already doing because of the impact it's having on them today, that every one of those individuals, those employee owners is having, that's a story that is meaningful and could be told. And ultimately telling that outward to the world and inward to each other, to me, it, it ensures that we, that we're really clear on why this all really matters, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it is that getting that clarity on our story with the individual people, not just a general kind of story about a group of people, but actual specific individual stories ultimately. And part of why we're doing this and bringing them on this podcast, bringing it to life ultimately can make this resonate for people inside and outside. Resonance is the point. And there's a lot of great benefits that can come from resonance, which we can talk about. But the main one for me is it can reinforce what we're doing and maybe even create a potential for a much bigger, longer term outcome in terms of impact on number of people, size of the impact on our current people, both financially and in just what the situation we're creating and how that benefits everybody. And if it all works the way I hope it will, inspiring others to to do the same. Mm -hmm. We're not going to save the world ourselves for sure, but I do think the more we can inspire others to do something similar or embrace their version of employee ownership and expanding that impact. That's also an exciting possibility with this. So ultimately, I think it attracts more great people, more great opportunities, companies to us if we tell our story really well, but it also has a lot of other exciting potential impacts too, if this all goes the way I imagine it might. Okay, so I did not think of this comment until seconds ago, but as you were talking, I'm thinking of all the publicly traded companies that I follow, and when you watch the trend line of their share price, you get all excited, and this is the thing, you have to manage your emotion, because you get all excited when that goes green and trends up, and then you get all depressed when it goes down, and there's ways to manage your emotion about that, because maybe if it's going down and it's mispriced, maybe it's a time to buy, but anyway... Normally, when we look at a business and we consider its success, we're only looking at its financial success in very impersonal terms that gets thrown across a ticker tape. But in our case, to tell our story, it's our equivalent to a ticker tape. 
but it's reflecting what we value and what we see as success. Not that we don't also pursue the financial success of the business, but almost like where do you put the emphasis? If you put the emphasis on the people, the financial success will follow. And if we demonstrate through telling our story excellently, that very personal success, which is different for every single employee owner, which is why we're putting them on this podcast. But if we highlight that that kind, that very personal success, we're showing our trend line, so to speak, and where our attention and our focus can be and what kind of an impact and output that can have. Again, like I, this was not premeditated, but I thought, wow, imagine a world where business ownership shifted to a way that included everyone and emphasized success through the impact it had on each person in that very personal way. That would be a different world to live in. I think so too. That's so cool. Yeah, I agree. Well put. I think we did a good job covering storytelling. Is there anything else you want to, you would want to add to what we've talked about here? Not necessarily, but I would welcome any of our EVers. If you have a way in your mind that you think, man, this would be an awesome way to tell our story, reach out to us. Let us know. We're all ears because this is something, obviously, that we are very committed to and putting a lot of emphasis on. So by all means, give us your ideas. So glad you said that. I very much believe in this and what we're doing, but I do not consider myself a great storyteller. So any good ideas would be awesome for people to send our way. And I know we have a lot of people on our team who actually are very creative thinkers and get excited about what things we could do. So yeah, please send those ideas our way. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Thank you, Chris, for this chance to dive into storytelling excellence. And yes, in other episodes, we will dive into that core three. So stay tuned. Yes. And thank you, Emily, for joining me to break down this discussion with Ken and shedding some light on storytelling. Thank you very much for helping me. You're welcome. Well, that wraps up this episode of Empowered Owners. I'd like to thank Ken Szynski and Emily Bope for joining me and TVF's Brian Vueg for suggesting topics for the discussion. Remember, we want to hear from you. Please give us feedback, suggest guests and topics for future episodes, and tell us how we can keep improving the show. To reach us, email hello at empowered.ventures or use the contact us form on our website, empowered.ventures. Last but not least, a big thank you to our production team at Share Your Genius. Be sure to join us next time on Empowered Owners as we explore the lives and stories of the amazing employee owners of Empowered Ventures. If you haven't already, follow our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you for tuning in.